go on into the service this afternoon coming from the book of Isaiah, the 51st chapter, the 3rd, 12th, and 19th verse. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, he will comfort all his all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving in the voice of melody. I, even I, verse 12, I, even I am he that comforted you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that thou shall di- that shall die, and of the son of man which shall be made as of grass? Verse nineteen reads: These two things are come unto thee. Who shall be sorry for thee? Desolation and destruction and the famine and the sword. By whom shall I comfort thee? By whom shall I comfort thee? I think if we look at starting in verse in chapter uh, part one of speak words of comfort, we see from the 40th chapter of Isaiah all the way back to the 66th chapter, which I think is maybe close to 27 chapters. It seems as though it's a different prophet writing. The first prophet was with a whole lot of doom and very little comfort, whereas in the last. 27 books, it's more or less a lot of comforting, but it's still words of doom, uh, words of prophecy, uh, things coming against them. But I, I think we look at that, that word comfort is used differently, as I told you last time in the Old Testament, than it is in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the words, sometimes we use that word exalt, encourage consolation Jesus used it for individual in other words a person and that person was of the Holy Ghost we remember in John's in John, I'm reading from Vines here in John 14 and 16 when Jesus tells his disciples that he will send them another comforter and that word paraclete a helper and that word comforter a comfort it also means to strengthen, strengthen. He says, I'll send you another helper because he had to go away. Another altos, meaning another of the same kind, another of the same kind. And we know there's three persons in the Godhead and of deity, and that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And this was the other comforter that he was sending back. He was going to send that comforter in his name. This is not heteros, which means another of a different kind. You know, like heterosexual, that's two different kinds, you know, male and female. And whereas homosexual would be male and male, uh, however we do it. Uh, so when he says that he is going to send another comforter, he means one just like himself. Another one just like himself. The spirit he would send as the paracletus or the helper was just like him. It was going to be in us. This helper was going to dwell in us. It, it was going to be in us. He would even come in his name. He was going to send the helper in his name. And he was going to declare the things of Christ to us. 
and help us go seek his own reputation. And, and that's what I was getting kind of con- a little bit in the Pentecostal church when I joined the Pentecostal church because some, I remember one, this one specific evangelist, talked as though the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit was this thing in it almost looked like he was magnifying the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit more than Jesus. Which, it says, the comforter would speak those things of him. It wasn't going to glorify itself. The Holy Spirit points to Christ. Just as any preacher that mounts the pulpit and preaches, he don't preach to draw himself or make himself of a reputation. He lifts up Christ. He points toward the cross. He points toward Jesus. So what are they going to do? What in the world are they going to do? Jesus will leave them. Now he had walked out and he was about to leave them. Jesus calms them by telling them that he was sent a helper, an aid, an advocate. That's why I said we can't just take comfort to our comfort because it's used a whole lot of, of the Holy Spirit is multifunctional. He's a comforter, but he's also an advocate, a, a helper. And to them in his place, he was going to send this helper. The Spirit as a helper. John 14th chapter, 25th to the 26th verse. These things have I spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, which the Father will send in my name, it, uh, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said unto you. Because it's some things that maybe wasn't made clear, wasn't, they couldn't comprehend all the things he was saying, just like as when preaching and teaching go now, we can't comprehend it all. The Spirit sometimes clarifies that or teaches us or reveals it to us at a later time, a later portion and time in ourselves. Uh, the Spirit as a teacher. The Spirit as a teacher. Another way we could look at this is if he had said the Holy Ghost will make us cognizant or aware or could be like you didn't have that deja vu moment. It says it's going to bring all things to our remembrance. Now this Holy Ghost is going to work on something internal into us and that's why I said it was psychological I think what happened a lot of with, with Adam and Eve when they ate of the forbidden fruit because it did something to man's mind and his thought processes and the way his retention and his apprehension of spiritual things he's wise in the world the things of the world but not in spiritual things so the Holy Ghost is going to bring things to remembrance what Jesus said. It's a lot of times the apostles remembered what Jesus had said. That's why he tells us to meditate on his word, studying it day in and day out, and feeding ourselves, hide, out, hide that word in our heart. That's how the Holy Spirit makes us stronger as we embrace his word. One of his functions is to elicit memories of God's teaching so that we know what to do in any given situation and its memories if it's memories of God's teaching that means we have to study the word of God that's we see that why 
Paul's functionality of Paul's use of the Spirit, and we think Paul wrote maybe 13 or 14 epistles of the Old of the New Testament, was he was proficient in the Scriptures because he was a Pharisee which studied the law. And we know Peter, that's when they created deacons, and Peter says that they was going to have deacons to minister to tables and do the arms or be the arms and legs of the ministers because they was going to give themselves to the studying of the Word of God, the study of the Word of God. Now, in their discipleship over that three-year period that Jesus had ministered to them as a comforter in different situations, he would comfort them and give them words of comfort and things that he would say or do gave them comfort. But this comforter that's dwelling in them now, you have to put something, you have to program things into a computer before that computer, no matter how much what they call it, RAM or memory it has, to power that members to bring it up, it has to be input in there. That's what the Bereans did, went back and studied and read the scriptures to see whether what the apostles were saying lined up with scriptures. That's why Peter said we have a more sure word of prophecy, and that's the written word of God. It doesn't deviate, and it's of no private interpretations, and the Bible tells us not to add or take away from scripture. So it's important that we study the word of God. The scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. And it consistently tells us to read and study and listen to all the scripture we can. The Holy Spirit prods our memory to recall scripture and and lead us to new insights in applying what we have learned. As we pray and we learn things or, or, or things that are there, it's just like in school, that that needs to be a certain amount of wisdom, but then you have to have the wisdom to apply the knowledge that you have received and an understanding to grasp an understanding to grasp the knowledge into which you've learned. It's just not having book learning. It's not just having a, 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 you can read and, and, and have all kind of intellectual knowledge but the application of that knowledge, that's why they would take a more experienced worker over just a worker that just came out of college learning of something. How can you apply that to which you have learned? And so that Holy Spirit gives us insights into this because there's different ways a teacher, the more teacher, the older a teacher gets, that's why you never know more than the master, the master teacher. That's why you know you have a bachelor's degree, a doctorate degree, and you have a master's degree. Well, that master should be above all the rest of those. What the Holy Spirit does is it that it teaches us by helping us through experiences along the way to the kingdom of God, us relying and looking under Jesus. It's the empower, it's the catalyst. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. That's why that we mount up with wings of an eagle because it gives us a zeal, a zest for life. Any of the servants of God or people of God, you never see them in Scripture really pictured as sitting down in a slothful position because sloth is not a fruit of the Spirit. 
It's a vice. But God's people are more or less diligent, move around, have energy. Energy. The Spirit is what energizes them. It's a regeneration that's going on. That's why those that wait upon the Lord, they were tarrying in, in Galilee, waiting from power up on high. That power to get the job done, the power, the ability. So what it does is that it reminds us of things. It brings things to our memory so that we would choose to do the right rather than obviously blundering on and doing sin. But, you know, God tells us to choose right, but we have to know what there is that is right and lean not to our own understanding because there are ways that seem right to a man, but we have to follow the instructions. Sound doctrine. Is it doctrinally sound? Saul says, well, he had saved the best sacrifices for God. But did you follow the instructions? The instructions was to destroy everything. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. So we have to learn obedience to the word of God. He sent us another comfort. He said he'll be in you and he'll be with you. Remember, they didn't want to go in the wilderness. He said he was going to send the angel of the Lord with him, the messenger of the covenant, he says, be careful because he wasn't going to take anything off of you. In other words, you could you could run into problems when you start grieving and quenching the spirit of God because then you acted in a spirit of rebellion. A spirit that's rejecting the truth. All manner of sin shall be forgiven against man except blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And that is the word of truth. Well, he is the word of truth. In the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, in the 32nd verse, it says, And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us, uh, to those who obey him. That's why he says, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That makes us a witness. If you remember, as a witness, Jesus said he has he speak those things that he had seen with his father. And God starts to work things through us and through our life, the things that we have experienced and been a witness of God doing in our lives, all of the miraculous feats he did achieve and provided for us, it emboldens us as a witness for him. It makes us a stronger witness for him. We become witnesses of him because of the spirit within us. So the Spirit as witness. John 15, chapter 27, verse says, The Spirit of truth, on which proceeds from the Father, He that is it, the Holy Spirit, would testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. They, Jesus, had chosen them as to the works and the miracles and the things, that discipleship that he had been doing, and they bear witness. Those works bear record. They bear witness of him. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. We dying to self. We constantly, each day, as we walk in the Spirit, those that are being led by the Spirit of God, are the sons of God. And we die daily 
we sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and it's no longer us that live, but it is Christ that liveth in us. He doeth the works. We have to give Him credit for the works that's being done. We, we can't receive any credit for anything that we're doing. It is Christ that working in us. He says, without me, you can do nothing. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the way I'm living. I'm living no longer as myself, but as a bond servant, a bond slave, him who had gave, my, gave himself for me. This is what makes a witness that we, we see. That, that was one of the qualifications to be an apostle, that you had walked with the risen Lord, that you had been with him during this time. When Peter then tried to choose another apostle to take the place of Judas who had passed. But you hear no more of those men that were chosen because that was a decision they were making. Paul was that thir- was that thirteenth apostle that took Judas' place. As in Psalm when it says, give his bis- bishopric to another. Paul was the one chosen in due time. He was chosen in due time. It was Paul that he had chosen. That's why he appeared to Paul. That one of the characteristics of an apostle. That's why we don't have apostles nowadays because an apostle would have witnessed the resurrected Christ. Apostles had the authority to pen scripture. Apostles carried all of these authorities. That is why he says here in John 15 that the Holy Spirit will testify of me. Remember, the testimony is what counts. Keep your testimony, and we pray about our testimony of keeping the testimony of the Lord. And in Revelation he says, these that hold to the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives proof of Jesus in us, first to us, and then to others who see us, that that light that's within us has to so show shine. The light that within us so shines that men would see the light and give God the glory. We're not accepting the glory for the works. We give it all to God. So men see the works and see our love for one another. All of these are character characteristics that these are the children of God. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The works that I do, it's because these are the works I witness with my Father. Here he mentions the spirit of truth. Again, in this context, he is talking about us making connections between bits of God's truth and drawing logical conclusions from them. And by doing this, it convicts us in our belief in Jesus and in his gospel as we make correlations to as to what's happening in our lives, what's happening through circumstances, what's happening in the world. As the men reason that seeing the serpent latch on to Paul's hand out of that fire that he was building and says, this man is wicked and he's, a, he's of a devil and the gods didn't permit him to escape. And that's why that serpent had bit him on the hand. 
But then after Paul continued to work and shook the serpent off into the fire, and the snake snake didn't do him any harm, he said, well, these men are the, of the living God. Because God's word says, the poisons wouldn't harm you, serpents, you shall hound serpents, and they shall not b- bother you. It was nothing that hindered. So they looked at him as a God now. See, that's why they looked at Jesus because of the works and the miracles he had did. And they said that you were of Beelzebub. And he said, now watch it. They were getting perilously close to blaspheming God because of the works that Jesus was doing. And he said, you are the, the, your father, the devil. They was telling Jesus that. He says, but how can Satan cast out Satan? If that's true, his house shall not stand because a house divided cannot stand against itself. He said, now your sons and daughters who they cast out devils by. So this paraclete, this helper, he starts to show us we shouldn't develop a God complex, but people should see a parallel between our lives and a developing life in Christ Jesus. Those attributes, that's why the Holy Ghost is guiding and leading us into the truth. And doing this, it convicts us in our beliefs of Jesus. The spirit of truth is necessary for us to make a true witness. Those that have not the Spirit of God, they're none of His. We need that's why it says tarry till you receive power from on high. Because there are those the seven sons of Sceva cast out demons in Satan in, in Jesus' name, but they wasn't of Jesus. They didn't have the witness within them. Simon the sorcerer seen this power that fell upon the disciples and the people that were baptized, he wanted to buy that power, the ability to be able to do this Holy Spirit and to have of the Holy Spirit. The witness we are making is of Jesus, though. So that's why people that go up and build up their ministries and build up themselves, a lot of times I pay someone a compliment or something, or you pay someone a compliment, but when you pay someone a compliment and then they get up and start telling you how they did it I, I did this and I did that. Hold on now. See, you like Peter now. You Satan has taken over now. Yes. Some people don't know how to take compliments. I didn't ask you to tell me how what you did this morning and all of that just because I paid you a compliment. Don't start beating your own chest. That's why I, I, a lot of times with my kids or different people, I don't pay them too many compliments because they get beside themselves. Some people don't know how to take compliments. We are pointing to Jesus Christ through our own life and our own words. Everything should point to Christ. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. All the glory goes to him and not unto us. And that's why he says the spirits could speak of the things of mine. The spirits could come to you in my name. The spirit never draws attention to himself but to Jesus Christ. 1 John 5 through 16. It says, this is he, that is Christ, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. They are not and these three agree in one. These three agree in one. 
if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he had testified of his son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God had given us of his Son. That's where the Jehovah Witness is error. We have to believe that witness. That's why it says that if they don't come with this doctrine, don't receive them into your houses, into your dwellings. Reject some teachings. Try the spirits to see whether they be of God. He says, now it's, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in the Son. That's the only way we can have eternal life. Any religions without Jesus Christ, they don't have eternal life. They may not even talk of eternal life. I don't know if Islam or Buddhism or these other religions talk about eternal life that don't have Jesus Christ because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has eternal life, and that's the only way we can have eternal life is to have the Son. Eternal life dwells in the Son. He's fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now he who has the Son through the Spirit has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now this is that comforter. And you remember I told you the comforter was used differently in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. But you remember he says about that tragedy, verse 9, these two things are coming to thee. Who shall Oh, shall be sorry for thee, desolation and destruction and famine and the sword. By whom shall I comfort thee? See, because different people speak words of comfort just like Job's friends was speaking words trying to comfort Job or whatever. They were miserable comforters. They wasn't spiritual comforters. It's impossible to be a true comforter without the Spirit. So, that's why I said sometimes actions and situations and different things prove to comfort us. And that's where we find comfort in the Word of God, in His promises. See, some of these promises here, they will go be through destruction. How do you talk to people that a hurricane has devastated and tore them apart? Or all of these people that suffer through mass murders and different situations. It's not just saying everything will be all right or whatever. You have to have words of God that gives them promise and gives them hope because they're suffering from despondency at the time. In other words, a lack of hope. They become apathetic. They keep getting knocked down or whatever. But then the Word of God, when you start showing them the Word of God and the Spirit is within them, that spirit is what gives them life. That is their hope. The hope, love, and charity, all those things, that's, it quickens up, it, it, it puts that silver lining in that. It gives life to what the individual is saying. Yes. That's why you carefully place your words. And God was talking about restoration to people coming out of Babylon that would see destruction, have seen ruin and desolation. And he was saying, though you be small, Sarah laughed at the fact that she was going to bear the promised seed. But she had God's word. That was should have been comfort to her. 
that her seed would be innumerable from that child. That Abraham was one person, you know, it was him and Sarah, and out of those came all of the spiritual seed that we see now as the father of faith. It says, he who has the Son through the Spirit has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's why the Spirit magnifies His name. The Spirit reveals these things. It's the great revelator. The Spirit as a revealer and guide. It says... John 16th chapter, 12 through the 15th verse. I'm doing a lot of reading here, and you need to get these embedded in you. It'll give you life at different times. If we hide the Word of God within our heart, that's sometimes where we find our courage at. I keep telling you about Sister Harris when she was reaching toward the end. It was the Word of God that gave us silence. The Word of God consoles you. That's your consolation. That's your strength. That's your necessary food. That's what gives you hope. That's what Job, look, he said, I know my Redeemer liveth. It speaks in here, uh, let the redeemed, those that are redeemed of God, those that know his word, that has the words of righteousness in their heart, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And that redemption is a redemption of hope. Therefore, verse 11 says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away because of the words of God coming true in their hearts. They can see. It gives you a discerning. It gives you hope. So I says, comfort each other with these words. That's what Thessalonians says first I think it's first Thessalonians the fourth chapter in eighteen four comfort one another with these words with what words the words of scripture John the sixteenth chapter twelfth and fifteenth verse says I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now you can't grasp them now you can't comprehend them now you can't catch hold to these now he says however when he that is the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak it, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I say unto you, he will make of mine, he will take of mine and declare it unto you. So the Holy Ghost is go. He's the one when he says he opened the understanding that they may understand the scriptures. That Holy Spirit is the revealer. That's why you must be born again. You must be born again because the comforter, how shall I comfort you? Through his spirit dwelling in us. Christ is the God of all comfort. We say God the Father, the God of all comfort. But that comfort goes to each individual in the guise. It's, it's in the Holy Spirit that's in one, each and every one of us that makes us witnesses because we had chosen us from the foundations of the world and now he's making us alive. We can speak these words with authority. 
1 Corinthians, the 2nd chapter and 8th verse. The people of this world, because they are the seed of Satan, and Satan didn't understand it, which it says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because with that crucifixion came life from the dead. That resurrection, because they had crucified an innocent man. They had crucified the Son of God. So through their wickedness, he had chosen in the determinate counsel of God that wicked men would put him to death. They didn't understand that there's the God of this world is blind and he had blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. They're walking around in, in a... But that's what comfort us is because now we see that the Spirit has revealed this unto babes, unto innocent people, people that are looking for the truth, seeking after the truth. They did not realize he was the God of creation, nor did they realize that he was their Savior. They could not discern the things that he was saying and doing or put them in the right context of perspective. And that's what the Spirit enables us to do. That's what he does, and it's through the the gifts granted unto the church, that fivefold ministry in God, Jesus left gifts unto men that are in the church. It puts things in its right context and in the right perspective we start looking at it from God's perspective we start seeing through his lens that's why he says let that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus that's the comfort that starts to comfort all men is that the spirit is in us and it's making the word of God active and alive and we receive comfort from his word through his word through the spirit that's why we guard the truth. That's why we're so protective of the truth. And he told Timothy to guard the truth. Second Timothy, the first chapter, 13 through the 14th verse, it says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in you. Keep this truth. Keep this faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Keep this treasure that's in earth and vessels by the Holy Ghost that's dwelling in you. This Holy Ghost, this is a, the earnest of our inheritance here. This Holy Spirit. Don't quench or grieve that spirit. He tells Timothy and every Christian to hold to the standards that the apostles had delivered unto them. Because he says, to whom, uh, how shall I comfort you? Or to whom, uh, in the 19th verse it says, by whom shall I comfort thee? It was through God himself coming to earth as man that he brought comfort to others. That's why he says that those that believe on you, believe on me through their word. Whose word? The apostles' word. We have to follow the apostle doctrine. That was delivered unto them. And they're delivering it unto us. We deliver it to one another. That's why it said, comfort one another with these words. 
It has to be the word of truth, and we can't deviate from that word. And he says the only way to keep the doctrines is both to live it and to proclaim it with faith and love. And you can't love it in one. That's why I say unbelievers don't know how to love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That's how we tell that we're his disciples by our love for one another. Our love for one another. Regardless. Paul is concerned not just about the truth, but about how it is preserved. How is the truth preserved? In faith and in love. That's how we keep the truth. In faith and in love. That's why we have have to have every increase in faith and love which shall never disappear. Love shall always be the love of God. Regarding keeping the deposit through God's Holy Spirit, the expositor's Bible commentary states, it has been well said that the Holy Spirit is the great conservator of orthodoxy. In other words, a person led by and using the Spirit of God will not turn away from the teaching delivered by the apostles. You remember Demas had forsaken Paul for this present world? We have to hold true to apostolic teaching. Yes. We have to hold true to that. And if you're led by the Spirit of God, you will hold true to it. There be other gospels, there be other teachers. The others can be persuaded and turned away and bewitched by other gospels. But the Holy Spirit imparts a certain amount of spiritual discernment to us. That's to keep us separated. That's to keep us on the straight and narrow. Because we are the sons of God. Galatians 4 and 6 says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because we have been adopted, because God has redeemed us from our former father, our owner, which was Satan, and those that are still in bondage, are still children of their father, the devil. He hadn't redeemed them all. It was a remnant that was redeemed. He gave us a measure of the same spirit, that vital, animating essence that he and the Son share. John 15 and 26. That spirit that makes us one, makes them one, makes us one with them. It's the essence of who all of this is or what all of this is. That's why sometimes you hear me referring to the Holy Spirit He and It because it's an animating spirit. It regenerates. It's making us alive. You've heard quicken. He quickens us. He makes us alive. We're slowly becoming alive in Him. That's the only place life is. The Holy Spirit links our mind to God. I'm not going to go into those scriptures. Romans 8, 16, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. And allows us to begin to see things as he sees them and to discern spiritually. For the Spirit discerneth all things. The Spirit judgeth all things. How can we know anything except by the Spirit of God? 
John 14, 17 through 18 says, The Spirit of Truth, the helper, whom or which the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you offerings. I will come to you. So if he's coming to him, that other helper is who he's sending him by. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. They both dwell within in that context in the Spirit. But he says the Spirit comes and lives and dwells in us. But doesn't later on he says, the Father and I will come unto you and dine with you and sup with you? So we're coming into unity of the Spirit. But first the Spirit has to sanctify our bodies. It has to wash. We're washed. How how are we washed? By the Word of God. Sprinkling us with clean water. So what the Spirit does, it purges us. We die to self. That's why I say anything that's not like God, the Spirit is cleaning that house. It's putting the things back in it because if it was up to us, we would leave that house empty and seven worse demons would come back in there. But we must be... That Spirit has to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. We must discern... but. And choose that which is good. Choose that which is right. Matthew 5 and 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn. Blessed are they. Now we get back to kind of what that word means in the Old Testament. Those that mourn. Now we can think of mourning. A A specific type of mourning is the kind that receives the comfort of God. It's a specific type of mourning. Not just crying over spilled milk, over losing something that you had, over a great loss. Millions, perhaps billions of mourners in the world do not come within the scope of that statement because people cry all the time about failed marriages, dead children, about dead parents, about losing a job. They mourn over virtually everything. But that doesn't fall in that purview of what Jesus is saying when he says, Blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. You remember I told you, we have to be specific here. These mourners may be under God's condemnation and far from receiving any comfort from it. That's why I say, just because somebody come along and pat you on your shoulder and say, No, no, you don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. Time heal all wounds. Well, you're not a good comforter, man. That's not the comfort that we're looking for. We know after a while you get over everything. You know, it's on. You know, you may be sad for a while, but you go forget about that old wife, that old husband. Even if you don't forget about it, it's not going to hurt as much. Life goes on. So, but we're talking about a spiritual comfort, something that's universal here. Something that's in the middle of rags and riches and disparity. There is discomfort that makes you feel good at that time because of what the words say or what they mean. The Bible shows three kinds of sorrow. The first is the natural, natural grief arising from tragic circumstances. The second is the sinful, inordinate, hopeless sorrow 
that can even refuse to be comforted. Remember it says a lot of people, uh, Rachel was crying and she refused to be comforted because of the loss of her children. Some people sometimes refuse to be comforted. They want that time of mourning. God gave the children of Israel 30 days to mourn for the loss of some. Right? Perhaps the outstanding biblical example of this is Judas, whose remorse led him to commit a a further sin, self-murder. You remember he went off remorseful and repented and hung himself. He committed suicide. But God wasn't going to comfort him. He wasn't going to be comforted. He was, woe had been already pronounced on him. Woe unto that man by whom that deception of betrayal comes. Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 calls this the sorrow of the world which produces death. The sorrow of the world that produces death. Now the third sorrow is godly sorrow. That's the mourning that we're looking at here. Blessed are they that mourn. And it's God's producing. In the same verse, Paul writes, For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted. So if it's something, that's why I said sometimes the comforter may say harsh things or whatever, but he says, I'm glad I made you sorrow. See, because the rebuke was in his hand. He was whirling the word of God as a fine-tuned sword. That's why I say the first portion of Isaiah, the first third of it, the first 39 chapters, there's a lot of condemnation and prophecies of doom and everything else. In some comforting ways, the latter part, the 40th through the 66th, it has a little bit more comforting in it. But you remember, through exercise of the Word of God, we have to use the Word of God to have to know when to speak what word in due season earlier chapters, chapter 41 or 43 or something of Isaiah's where he said he has given me the tongue a polished tongue or sword in other words to say words. Jesus don't went to place words and how to place words. That's by the tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. We have to guard the tongue. The Holy Spirit no man can tame the tongue but the Holy Ghost bridles the tongue. We start being able to watch what we say and do. A man becomes temperate or grave in those things. Mourning, grief, or sorrow is not a good thing in itself. But what it motivates, what motivates it, combined with what it produces, is what matters. What motivates it, combines with what it produces, is what matters. Thus, 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 states a vital key. The mourning that Jesus teaches is a major spiritual component of godly repentance. Paul says, when he talked about the man that he told him to disfellowship him, in other words, that was sleeping with his wife, I mean his father's wife. And he says, but don't drive this man too far where he sorrow past repentance. In other words, now it's turned to bitterness because you've pushed this thing too far. You didn't know when to allow him back in the fold. We should have allowed him back in the fold. He's repented of this. 
You know, after a person says he's sorry, some people say, I can't forgive you for that. Well, if you can't forgive, there's a lack of a spirit in you, the spirit of God. That's what Peter can. How many times shall I forgive my brother? So you have to have a spirit of forgiveness, right? You can't hold things against a person or keep bringing up that thing. That's what I told you. When dealing with issues, put those to bed at that time. And if they, somebody brings something up later, don't you be the one that bring it up and say, well, no, I'm doing this because you remember when you did it to me here or when you said this? Well, see, now you're beating a dead horse. You said you had forgot about it to forgive it. We had held that. That's why I say handle things and stop looking what's behind you. You handle things that's in today today. Don't 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 let your anger last pay a sundown. In other words, be not angry to, to just anger just overwhelms you and that sin of the angry man. To produce the abundant life of John ten and ten, he says the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So it's the motivation and what brings these things about. This principle arises often in secular life because humans seem bound and determined to learn by painful experience. Uh, when Only when our health is breaking down or really bad or we suffering something of ignorantly or willfully ignoring health laws do we make serious effort to discover the cause that leads to recovery of those things and during this pandemic, it was true. During this COVID outbreak, uh, during desperate times. But at that point, we truly want to bring the comfort of good health back into our lives. That's the comfort. We're looking at a physical relief. You're looking for a panacea from anywhere. But not the truth here. In other words, Jesus says, if your hand offends you, it's better to cut it off. But a lot of people say, but what can you do to heal his hand? I don't want to lose my hand. So a lot of people end up their whole body perishing from, because they should have cut the whole hand off so you wouldn't get gangrene. That thing wouldn't destroy your whole body. Solomon addresses this in Ecclesiastes 7 and chapter 2 through the 4th verse. He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. Uh, now, I'm not trying to deal with mourning and sorrow. Now, I've done dealt with this before, in this verse before. So, it's in past sermons, and I don't want to take up our time with that. But that's the sorrow. Uh, that's but we see where the comfort comes for those that's motivated through God. The sorrow that the words that the prophet was comforting the people coming back to Jerusalem after this Babylonian captivity. Either we as preachers and ministers speaking to the church now, we're not speaking to everybody. We're speaking for those that are in Christ Jesus or that will be in Christ Jesus. Yes, because we would be. Flatterers are saying something that's untrue if we were speaking to everybody. No, it's not going to get better for everybody. It's going to get better for some, to those that love the Lord. 
all things work together for good for those but for some this is the end of the line for them so God's going to intervene in those natural processes just like he intervened in Abraham's life and brought about this promised seed Isaac he intervenes he's going to intervene into this end of end of the world scenario for the church's benefit, the churches of growth, of God's people of the benefit, he's gonna send those to the house of the Lord, but he's gonna destroy the evil doers, the wickedness. There's a judgment that is coming about now. So he intervene he's gonna make an intervention in the natural process of our lives. Revealing himself and his will to some of us. That's to the church. His goodness will lead us and them to repentance. By his spirit we are generated, taught, guided, and enabled. He creates circumstances in our life by which we are moved to grow and to become like him in character and in the perspective of looking at things as he sees. But some of these circumstances causes a great deal of sorrow. That's why he said, blessed are those of them that mourn. He's not saying everybody, but of his people that have to go through these circumstances. He knows only those that are going to go through those circumstances. By his grace, he supplies our every need so that we are well equipped to meet his demands on our lives and glorify him. But Jesus' teaching never detaches this principle of sorrow or mourning from God's purpose because the right kind of mourning properly directed has the power to motivate wonderfully positive results. But it is contagious in the fact that it works by those that are witnessing to others of their using their life as a witness. That that's why we're able to comfort others with the comfort whereby we are comforted with. That's why we can't comfort some people because they're not in the spirit of God. And that's why they, even in families and homes and children and spouses and things, can't receive the right comforting because of the spiritual level in which they are. And that's why we can only it's just pray for them. God definitely wants results, fruit produced through our relationship with him. As Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So he, he wants us to go about to bring fruit, but he doesn't want us to be uh, going around telling everybody the same thing, and that's a generic use of, the, of what we're doing, just telling everybody and blessing everybody. It didn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We become false prophets prophets by just going to, oh, it's going to be all right. No, it may not be going all right. This tragedy has happened just like the adulterous woman. It says, go and sin no more. Maybe this death occurred in your family or to this individual to turn you around from that lifestyle or what they were living or something else were living. God had intervened through these circumstances here. Now that seems harsh or whatever, but then 
those words sometimes ring back as words of comfort, just like when Paul says, I caused you to sorrow, but it was a sorrow that brought about a repentance, a turning away from where you were headed. Sometimes tough love is the best way to do these things. Uh, strengthen. Uh, Job 4 4 says that words have upholded him that was falling and thou hast strengthened the feeble deeds. The Amplified reads that your words have helped the one who was stumbling to stand and you have strengthened his feeble knees. That's why I say with the word of God. Some things that we draw out of the word of God and give a person's analogy or some metaphor or something that came from the Word of God, some example of uh, something we take out of the Word of God and point that individual to. It strengthens them. We are a comforter, but what we are doing is strengthening them and we exhorting them to hold on through some consolation that we can offer. Now the Word also is an advocate. Jesus Christ sometimes, we see it, we have an advocate with the Father. Yes. In that sense, the Spirit acts as an advocate with us. Now, we don't want to apply that broadly because Jesus, we read in the book of John, he's our advocate with the Father. But we see in the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, in the 26 through the 27th verse, it says, In the same way the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it is as we should, but the Spirit himself knows our need and at the right time, and he makes intercession or intercedes on our behalf with signs and groanings too deep for word. He who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the, inter- but because the Spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance to his will. So with that, guys, the Spirit is an advocate with the Father. In other words, he's making intercession for us, and that's that comforter that sometimes when we pray through and we're crying to God and everything, the Spirit gives us that comfort that God has heard that prayer like uh, that one Samuel's mother that was praying, and it, Samuel thought, she, Eli thought she was drunk or whatever, and she was acting in such a way that words wasn't coming out of her mouth, but her hands and things was moving or whatever. And Samuel, Eli says, your petition has been granted. So the comfort, it comes through the Holy Ghost of the Holy Spirit. 